0: This is The Think Tank with Dr. Mike O'Neill talking about the major political, economic, and social issues of the week. KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. The Think Tank.
1: Yeah, good morning. Uh, Our guest today is uh, attorney and citizen Dave Tierney, who's been here before. Welcome back to the show, Dave. Thank you, Mike. Uh, we want to talk about a program that uh, you and I talked about, uh, and I was just very intrigued by on a number of levels. The program's called the Restorative Justice Construction Project. Tell us a little bit about what that is, if you would. So 23 years ago,
0: there was something called Committee on Probation Services in Maricopa County. It was a bunch of citizens that were a kind of a sounding board for the probation department. The probation department had a new uh, director named Mike, um, uh, Mr. Helber, and Norm Helber was a terrific guy, known nationwide. And all of a sudden, the presiding judge said, wait a minute, Mr. Helber, you cannot allow the department to take any more donations of any kind. And Helber turned to me, I was co-chair at the time, and he said, Dave, what can we do about this? So I created a 501c3, it's called the Restorative Justice Resource Coalition, Inc., which is every buzzword that we thought would help us.
1: Including 501c3, which you need to explain means it's a charity.
0: <laughs> yes, that means it's a charitable corporation and people can give donations and get a deduction therefore it doesn't pay any sales tax, it doesn't pay taxes if it's under 50000 a year, which it always is. Anyway, the bottom line is: twenty-three years ago, we created a, a, a nice little charitable corporation, which we could do our work from. And uh, at varying times since then, the board of supervisors has been friendly or not very friendly to what we want to do. But we've uh, persisted all these years, and here's the mission of the organization. Uh, on any given day in this county, there are at least twenty-five, twenty-six thousand people. Who are on probation in
1: the county. Dave, could I interrupt you for just a second and ask you to explain? I know this confuses a lot of difference between probation and parole.
0: So the way the court system is set up, when the prosecutors bring somebody before a judge on a criminal charge, it may be a misdemeanor, it may be a felony, and if they get sentenced. To um, time on a felony over a year, that would be in the prison system. And if they serve their prison term and they get near the end of it, they can get parole from a parole board. But it's a very uh, small amount of parole we have in Arizona. It's only the last 15% of your sentence. And it's not a very robust program, and it certainly has no services. However, in the court system, if someone is convicted of a misdemeanor, or perhaps a felony with time suspended, they can be on probation in Maricopa County. And so at any given moment, there's at least 25,000 people on probation serving up to four or five years on probation. And if you're on probation, uh, your sentence is suspended, but in the event that you breach the terms of probation, even in the last three months of your term of probation, you can end up serving
1: time in jail, or maybe even in prison. Now, so, what, what kind of people are on probation? In other words, give me some idea of the range of crimes that are involved and how long it, people tend to be on.
0: It might be a first drug crime. Um, it, it might be um, breaking an entry with uh, nobody in the house. Uh, it, it could be a snatch and grab first thing. It could be a property crime of some kind. But they're misdemeanors ordinarily, and and at that, the more non-serious, you know, run-of-the-mill, somebody who's just over 18 and therefore uh, not a minor or major, and uh, they do something stupid, uh, sometimes drugs, sometimes alcohol-induced, and uh, all of a sudden they're in, in a world of hurt, and they wind up in the maw of the probation system. So these are,
1: if I could characterize, these are people who have a problem. They're not necessarily on the straight and narrow, but we're not not talking about hardened career criminals here. Absolutely not.
0: And and there is a huge number of them. I mean, our court system, you know, regularly uh, sends thousands a month through the system and they go on probation. And probation has uh, around 900 plus officers who manage a caseload of 25,000 people, and of those 25,000 are on probation at any given moment, around 16,000 have what's called a community service sentence. And that means that the judge has said, okay, Mr. Fink, you have uh, been sentenced to three years on probation, 30 days in jail before you start your probation. Uh, When you come out, you're going to report your probation officer. And as a condition of probation, you have to do a, B C, and D and one of those things will be five hundred or five thousand hours of community service and Maricopa County has always had a very robust system for checking that people are doing their community service that's required so a guy might end up picking up paper in uh, in Cano Park or painting an alley or uh, you know cleaning up after uh, Roosevelt Rose Friday night deal, but he's going to do some kind of community service. And our organization, founded 23 years ago, had found out that on these um, community service probationers among the 16,000, there were quite a few people that were master carpenters, master plumbers, expert drywallers, um, electricians, uh, sign installers, and so forth, and we had been doing some projects before we created this 501c3 where somebody donated some working materials, you know, drywall or whatever. And so 23 years ago, we decided to tighten this up and do it in a real serious way. So, starting in 1997, with the employment of a new probation department employee named Bob Kalistrick, we started doing a deal where Bob runs about 30 probationers, usually in two squads of 15, and Bob takes on, with the approval of a little citizens board, that's our group, he takes on projects. They are always a 501c3 charitable corporation. That means that somebody like, I don't know, Cash Shelters or Foster Arizona you know, a well-meaning, established, good, charitable organization, which has a budget and does serious work, but it has money for books or medicine or particular services. It just doesn't have any money at all in its grants to pay, to keep its premises working. And so what happens is people doing wonderful social work in this town And as you know, our social service network is not much supported by our government, unlike Massachusetts or Minnesota. We expect 501c3 charitable corporations to kind of carry the load here in Arizona. So those people often need to have their premises refurbished, remodeled, expanded, reconfigured, re-roofed, and we do it. And uh, the key thing is, that uh, in every remodeling project about 65 percent of the cost of the project is the labor and about 35 percent is materials and we provide the labor for free it isn't on a tight schedule because we sometimes don't have one or two of the people we need and we have to catch around and find them and get them and work out their schedules to apply. So we can't do anything real quick, 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 like a contractor might. But if we have enough time, I think, for example, of a, a, a equine therapy group in Scottsdale that we work for over a period of about six months, we rebuilt their fences. We rebuilt the bunkhouse. We totally remodeled the kitchen. We re-roofed a section where they put uh, an office in. And, you know, we really did a number on that place and totally uh, improved their situation. So that's what this is all about.
1: We'll we'll pick up this discussion with Dave Tierney talking about uh, uh, rest- uh, restorative uh, justice and construction. And when, when we return in just a moment in The Think Tank.
0: The Think Tank. KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com.
1: Hey, uh, we're talking to Dave Tierney about a program that involves the use of probationers uh, to do uh, good work in the community. I wanted to say just a word or two about what what intrigued me about this story. We have a kind of a a dialectic, conservatives... uh, uh, are big on punishment. They want to see people who have done wrong punished in some fashion. And unfortunately, punishment has been equated solely with the idea of imprisonment imprisonment to my mind is warehousing people. They sit, they're not productive, never heard of anybody coming out of it much better. Um, But anybody who argues against a longer prison sentence gets labeled as and quote unquote is political death soft on crime. Now, one of the things Dave cited there, you talked about people who had as much as 5000 hours of community service. Now, a full time worker in this country works about 2000 hours a year. That's two and a half hours of two and a half years of full time work. That could hardly be characterized, I think, as a slap on the wrist. So uh, what intrigues me about this is is this could be something where people are productively engaged and from other discussions I've had with you can also some of them be learning skills because you mentioned the master carpenters, but you told me offline that you also bring in people who are uh, more apprentice level, who who, uh, are able, why don't we talk about that a little bit? What, what good has this done for some of the people that are involved in this? Well, this is what we call a win-win-win.
0: You want to have a program which has high quality people because you want to do good quality work. So you need some master carpenters. But you also want to have a program which is improving the skill level and the skill set of those whom you are bringing through as probation or workers doing the work. So the way this is supposed to play out is the probationer gets a new skill set or improved skills. The community gets work that benefits the community as a whole. And the charity receives uh, improvements that make it possible for it to help the community. And maybe there's a a line or two in there for the victim. The community has been damaged, in a sense, by whatever crime this person did. And there's some you know help of uh, the the victim seeing that the person who was uh, a miscreant who somehow hurt the victim is out there doing work, and not getting away scot free. You know this is a, a sort of a fourth subscript to the win win win.
1: If somebody has, they're on probation, and let's take the person with uh, the five thousand hour commitment over. Uh, now they still—they're outside. They're supporting themselves. They're not in prison. They've got a—they've got to have a job. So how how t- how much a year do are people typically putting in, and how how much is left for them to make a living?
0: Well, five thousand is probably the the biggest I've ever heard of anybody having for a yeah. uh, uh, commitment. Usually it's more like twelve hundred or fifteen hundred hours or whatever, and it's spread over a long period of time. So what happens is that people do have jobs, but a lot of these guys that work in construction and construction-related stuff, their jobs are somewhat seasonal and somewhat episodic. So they may have a three-week period where they can put in a lot of work on their community service. They may have a time where it's not so easy for them to get their hours on community service. They may have to work on Friday afternoons and Saturdays and Sundays to get their hours. They can get some extra credit if they bring uh, important tools, tools that the department doesn't have access to, you know, uh, special stuff through a sign or special electrical equipment that can't be gotten, they can get some extra credit. A lot of times uh, uh, a probationer's employer hoping to, to shorten up the period of time that the probationer has to do community service We'll try and help him find a way to, you know, to get some extra credit for bringing a truck or a crane or something like that to a job and helping us. So, so this,
1: go ahead. So, go ahead.
0: So the way this works is um, a very nimble employee of the Department of Corrections, somebody who's six foot two, a New Yorker with kind of a Polish background and a New York accent who gets a lot of respect because he knows how to do everything you can do on a construction job, who wants to do this work instead of a much more highly paid job as a construction supervisor, which, you know, in Arizona is paid highly and much sought after by Bechtel and so forth. This guy, Bob Kaliscik, runs these squads of guys, and he has the personality and the ability to command respect on the job, to control these men who are working for him, to... Exercise quality control on the work, and it's a marvel to watch it work.
1: We'll be back discussing this program further when we return after the break with Dave Tierney in the Think Tank.
0: The New
1: Jerusalem.
0: on with a song. The Think Tank, KTAR News on ninety-two three FM and KTAR dot com.
1: We're back with Dave Tierney. We're talking about uh, work projects for probationers. And uh, I wanted to ask you about what kind of a pushback you have gotten either from labor unions or I'm guessing maybe more likely from those within the, the, the uh, jail and prison system. Uh, how much resistance have you gotten, and from where? Because, as you outlined in the last segment, there seems to be a kind of a win-win-win here. Uh, anybody anybody resistant to this? So years ago, when I was in prison
0: industries, and I was the chairman of that back in the uh, late '80s. And that uh, that
1: is something like this, but it was for it was done by prisoners within prisons. Is that correct? Those
0: are people serving long sentences in some of our 16 prisons, uh, you know, big houses uh, scattered around the state. We made 22 uh, products like fencing and uh, milk uh, and uh, uh, office furniture and blue jeans and, you know, all kinds of things, but 22 different projects. And when we did that, because we really were into the commercial world and we were working, selling our products, we got a lot of pushback from labor unions, from people that sold and made furniture and so on. But in the 23 years that I've been connected with this outfit, we have not on one occasion had any pushback from anyone, not labor unions, not people that make, uh, you know, uh, construction work, uh, contractors. In fact, we've had a lot of help from contractors, contractors association, the Arizona association of subcontractors They've given us product, they've given us uh, help on uh, finding work or getting particular pieces of equipment, and uh, it's been kind of an amazing honeymoon. This has worked so well, and I put that down in part to who's been running our probation department because they're very good people to work with, very thoughtful and very careful to be cautious about what they do and talk to the right folks but also to Bob Kalischick, who's um, a very good and uh, respected guy.
1: What's the scale of this program? How many probationers
0: are you working with? At any given moment, it's 30 or less. It's,
1: okay, so it's, we're talking very small scale. It is small Compared to what our core, our core is the prison industries program. Yeah, How many uh, did that involve? Oh, that was
0: 15,000 or so out of the 43,000 in prison.
1: Is that the difference? Is it the scale? This is not big enough to really interfere with anybody's business model. Whereas if you have 15,000 people, a significant chunk engaged in anything can be potentially competitive to, well, I I knew mattresses were a big part of that. The mattress industry could could be upset about you using cheap labor to compete with them.
0: I think it's two things. One is the small number of people that are doing the work here. And secondly, who our clientele are. We only work for 501c3 charitable corporations, and the work wouldn't get done if we weren't going to help them repair their premises because they just don't have enough money to make it happen. Mm-hmm. So we're doing a job that never would exist, but for the fact that these people are able to scrape together the money for some materials, and then we add the free labor, and uh, cast Shelter gets a new painted office and new flooring uh, Foster uh Arizona gets, uh, you know, rebuilt uh, bedrooms for their people out in Mesa. Uh, but these are people that wouldn't have gone looking for a contractor to do that work. It just wouldn't have gotten done otherwise.
1: And is that is that you think the real difference they You're not taking business away by any stretch from anybody.
0: That's the way I, I, I see it. I, there's one more possibility here that. Years ago, 87, all this was much newer to Arizona, and when we had our core in prison industries, this was a a radical change uh, in our Department of Corrections, and people within the department fought against it, made trouble, looked for trouble, inculcated trouble, but times are different now, and uh, as you said to me, uh, the stars are in alignment, and this kind of a program is uh, much more, I think, acceptable to all political spectra nowadays.
1: What is the status of our core or prison uh, work projects currently?
0: I think the high point of prison industries in the state was probably 87, 86, something like that. And uh, it was torn down uh, when Bruce Babbitt left office and uh, Ellis McDougall was finally chased out of the state as the head of the Department of Corrections. It exists in the sense that people cut hair. Uh, That's considered a prison industry. Um, Believe me, prison industries in Arizona is on the ground. Um, It barely exists. Even 12 or so years ago when Donna Shiro was head of the Department of Corrections, we had a viable program that was training women electricians out of Perryville and doing some uh, real good uh, prison industry stuff. But these days, I believe that the program is essentially on the ground compared to where it was 30-something years ago.
1: Anecdotally, aren't there a number of, and particularly in the women's presence, aren't they associated with a bunch of call centers?
0: There is a call center program that's been in existence for about 20 years. It's out of Perryville. And it's won some awards and, uh, you know, done some good training for people. It's, again, a pretty small operation. It's, it's got like, I think, 60 or 100 women that work there, uh, compared to what we used to have with ArtCore, which was in multiple institutions and, and had quite a huge, uh, you know, following. We actually had at Florence a quality control group of four they went around checking on the quality of the stuff we were producing. I mean we were we were really doing a volume of, uh, of work in those days, but the work today is is very small, and uh, nothing like what used to be done.
1: Who killed it? And why
0: um, I remember being called in to um, Governor Meekham's office by <laughs> Sam Steiger, who was oh the-
1: those are both voices from the past. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that is true. And uh, Sam called me in and said, the governor has told me to tell you we're getting rid of the r project. project. Uh, it's coddling prisoners. We're just going to tear it down.
1: Oh, it's, that's back to that old saw. If, you, if you're not just rotting in prison, it's not really punishment.
0: Yeah, you can be pumping iron and you can be breaking uh, weeds. But if you're doing anything productive that teaches you a skill level, then we're coddling the prisoners. And that mindset has persisted uh, with brief interludes, uh, you know, really pretty much up till today. And uh, our numbers are so huge and our funding is so difficult to come by and getting the right employees such a job that uh, they don't seem to be able to master putting into effect the old style art core that we used to have.
1: Well, I I would imagine that would, well, first of all, you're describing The people running the system who don't like the idea, that's probably fatal. If you're into a, you know, warehouse only model mentality or that, you know, that's coddling, putting people to work. I I fail to see how that's coddling, but uh, because most people work because they have to, not because they want to. Uh, But the other side is, I would assume in prisons, it's not, there's levels of dysfunction with people in there and it's. Probably harder with that pool to find people who have appropriate skills to do most anything.
0: It is. And then you have to watch the quality of the product you're bringing into existence, whether it's milk or jeans. Inevitably, there are tools, and tools can be sharpened and used against another inmate. And uh, Mm -hmm. I mean, it it really is, it, it takes work to put together a prison program. That's why this program is so much better. These are people working probationers. They're in the free world every day as we speak. They're going to work and they're dealing with their families and they're riding the bus and walking the streets with us. And to have them use their skills productively to help charitable organizations is just a tremendous benefit to the world of charitable organizations in Phoenix. We have books and books of pictures of jobs we've done in these 23 years And uh, you were with me in ACT 20-something years ago when we were using probationers to do some jobs. And they were construction and cleanup jobs. And that was kind of how we morphed into getting this program created. ACT set the seeds. And then this was where it, it flourished and took root. But an amazing amount of work has been done by these probationers and a tremendous benefit to all the 501c3s in town.
1: Well, um, having said that, when we return in just a moment for a final segment, I'd like to ask you if this is a win, win, win all the way around, which it certainly sounds like, uh, what is the, what are the obstacles to scaling this on a, a larger level, because uh, if you got something that everybody benefits from, you, you were talking about uh, working with 30 some odd people at a given time out of a pool of, uh, I think you said, 25,000 people on probation, 16,000 of which have work obligations. It seems to me there's a potential for scalability. When we return for final segment, I want to talk to you about uh, what, what are the obstacles to uh, scaling this program up when we return for final segment with Dave Tierney in the Think Tank.
0: The Think Tank. KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com.
1: We're talking to citizen attorney Dave Tierney about uh, constructions projects taken on by probationers, and uh, uh, the gist of which seems to be a great program that the participants benefit from, in many cases, the community benefits from, and uh, and uh, really doesn't seem to be a whole heck of a lot of downside. Uh, but we, the engagement in this is thirty people out of a potential pool of sixteen thousand people who have work obligations. And my question to Dave, as a concluding segment, is: So, what are the obstacles? to scaling this on a, on a much larger level. 16,000 people is a huge pool of people, and, and there's no shortage, I'm sure, of work to be done in the community.
0: Well, first, we're only talking about construction done by probationers. So there are intergovernmental agreements, and there is a guy within probation who manages intergovernmental agreements. I mentioned Roosevelt Row and cleanup before. So on a Friday night, if you are down at Roosevelt Row, and at twelve thirty or so, they're knocking down the tables and chairs, and the street's a mess. It's probationers who come in under an IGA, and they clean up.
1: IGA ro- is intergovernmental agreement. That means probably okay. city of Phoenix has an agreement with the probation department. I gather.
0: Correct, and there's programs that clean alleys and that repaint and you know paint over graffiti. Um, there's pickup in McCandle park and I, you know, there's dozens and I don't work with these programs, so I don't you know, have a good list handy, but there are all kinds of other So we're, Do they we're need not- a
1: paid staff, how did the- so I understand you get a bunch that's relatively unskilled stuff. So anybody can more or less show up and do it, but you got to have somebody there, I assume who's an employee that supervises it, is that by the contracting agency? Like if the city of Phoenix wants Roosevelt Road cleaned up, did they provide the supervisor? Sometimes yes,
0: and sometimes it's the probation department, depending on the IGA. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't, don't omit the people who are on juvenile probation. You have to find work for them to do their community service. Uh, By the way, there's a whole untapped resource in the Phoenix Municipal Court. The presiding judge there is manfully struggling trying to create a way of organizing the tremendous amount of public service that's required, but not supervised and not managed by that court. But now let's go back to your question of what are the impediments to having a program like this. We have in the past tried to get Pima County, Tucson, uh, Prescott, uh, Yavapai County interested in doing this, and there are really three or four uh, impediments and difficulties that have to be solved. First is the probation department has to want to do it, has to see the benefit to the community, and the benefit of uh, providing the community with a visage of what probation can do for the community. So You have to have buy-in from the probation department heads. Is that Second, a
1: problem usually?
0: Well, it's never been a problem in Maricopa County. We've had very enlightened and thoughtful people here. But um, probation is a, it's not the first thing that's funded by your county supervisors. So it's always struggling to get a budget and an adequate budget. And the courts mm-hmm. and the prosecutors dump huge numbers of people. And so it's always a challenge. But in Maricopa County, they've always found a good reason to keep this program going. Other places, it's not quite so easy. The second uh, impediment is you must have the right person or personnel to do a program like this. You can't have probationers being sent by the county to go work on a piece of property and have them not well supervised or having them do work, which is shoddy work. So Bob Kalischick is a licensed general contractor and he watches out what's being done, teaches people how to tear down a project, do a demolition job first, then he puts them on a build-it project, and he watches over them. If there are two squads and Bob is shuttling back and forth, then he uses the master carpenter, master plumber guys to help him keep the supervision in check. But personnel is a, a real difficult thing to find. I think I've said to you that I think that Kalistic could go out and earn double uh, on some construction job as a a job supervisor, but he has a a gift for this kind of thing and an interest in doing it. The next impediment is insurance. Because every county self-insures, and they have a self-insurance trust, and this is an exposure, uh, sending uh, people to a, a job site as opposed to a public park where they're picking up pieces of paper. So you have to have a buy-in from the uh, community self-insurance trust, and they have to have a, a truce or an understanding with them.
1: And, and the they're, final, using, they're using equipment, and there's probably a lot more potential for somebody to get injured.
0: Not only that, but we own some equipment, and you have to go and find it and buy it and maintain it and uh, make sure it's maintained right. And, uh, and so that's an exposure for the county, and you, know, you have to be thoughtful about how you do that. And then the final uh, thing that's tricky is transport. Um, this has changed from time to time over the years, but you can't have uh, uh, Bob Kalistrick with his county van uh, running around with a bunch of probationers. Um, you know, they have to get themselves to the site and that isn't always easy for a probationer. Some come on bicycles, mm-hmm. some takes buses, some get a friend or a wife to drive them. Getting there on time is never easy for these people. Um, you got to have a guy like Bob that can uh, organize a schedule and, uh, you know, put enough push in the job to get people, enough people there, the right kind of people, the right time, know what's coming, have the materials lined up. This is not something that you can scale to use 1,500 or 3,000 probationers easily. It's, uh, it's
1: t- it sounds like it's tied to a heroic figure. It is, in a sense, kind of like kind of like many nonprofits. You look at them and you see there was this charismatic leader who started it, and then the whole program evolves around them. But it's not replicable because you can't find somebody like that person again.
0: It'd be very hard, I think, to find a guy like Bob. And uh, uh, you know, nobody's looking, but uh, he's really an amazing figure. And uh, I I think that's one of the impediments for a place like Prescott, for example, who surely has plenty of people that are on, uh, uh, you know, community service and could do a lot of this. I've even talked to people in foreign countries about this, um, and they've been very interested uh, in the the idea. Uh, Most uh, European foreign countries have a system that's not too much unlike ours uh, that uses something like probation and has people... Who are skilled and do have these uh, uh, community service type sentences and and they've shown an interest. I don't know if that's ever come to fruition over in Europe because I just don't track that after I talk to people.
1: That would that would be very that would be an intriguing thing to hear, because uh, in the whole uh, whole prison system, we seem to be uh, 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 sort of behind the curve. Relative, well, to, except yeah. one
0: odd uh, place, and that is that uh, Sweden n- n- quite often uh, asks for our sex offender program people in Maricopa County to come over and present as to how to run a sex offender program, and they, our people go over to Sweden and teach that.
1: Really, really, really. what do, what do we do with sex offenders other than keep them from? I mean, they have to. The thing you hear about them is a lot of them have trouble finding a place to live because they've walled off almost, you know, within a mile of a school or, you know, all the rest. We got 30 seconds, by the way. Yeah, well,
0: there's all kinds of uh, programs, uh, re-education and, uh, you know, counseling and uh, goal setting and uh, care. And you are right about the very uh, limitation, the awful limitations we have on sex offenders not being able to
1: live within, I don't know, and now nobody wants them in their neighborhood, to be sure, and that's understandable. But it's something. Are we better- creating a, we creating a, a narrative that, that's not that's not uh, attainable? Anyway, uh, Dave, Tierney, always good to have you. Uh, you're certainly involved with some interesting, productive, and useful stuff, and hopefully uh, give us something to think about here. Thank you for being our guest again.
0: See you, Mike. Great, to- great to see you again. Take care.
1: And sirens call them on